Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. We have a, uh, hopefully, we're going to try this tonight. I think we're at, that we have advanced enough technologically to take your phone calls right off of Facebook. So whether you're listening online or whether you are on Facebook, one way or the other, uh, you should be able to hear each other. Because I know in a few shows before, there were some issues. If I took calls online, the people on Facebook couldn't hear it. And that's kind of a damper. Nobody wants to do. Nobody wants to uh, put up with that. So tonight we're going to give this a try, see how it goes, and with any luck at all, uh, we're going to have some success with that. So both people can, both groups can hear each other, because there's a lot of people listen online, a lot of people listen on Facebook. Now, all right. So where to begin? First of all, for those of you online, I'll give you the numbers. Now on Facebook, you just go to your your messenger, uh, click on my name. And then what will happen is you'll see the little telephone icon pop up in the little window there. You just click on that when you want to make a phone call. Now, I don't know what's going to happen if I get more than one call at a time. Okay, that's something I never thought to test. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll find out soon enough, I would imagine. Uh, so if I don't answer your call right away, like if you hear somebody else talking, okay, if I'm talking to somebody else, uh, let it ring. Or when you hear that phone call drop off, just call back. So we're going to try to make as much time for phone calls as we can because you'd rather listen to, you know, a conversation than a monologue any day. Even I get that. I mean, who wants to listen to me for two hours blathering on about all things wrong with the world? I mean, that gets old. So we're trying to make it more engaging, make it more interesting uh, and more fun. Let me start speaking of fun. I I went and saw the movie um, and there's a whole, oh, my God, I can't believe some people. Okay, last night I've been waiting for months to see the movie. Dunkirk. Now, I am an amateur uh, military historian, and I stress the word amateur. There's great big gaps in my knowledge. By no means am I an expert on any stretch. Um, Excuse me. So I admit that right up front, but I also like to think I know at least as much as the next guy does about our especially Canadian military history. Now, the Battle of Dunkirk was one of the great, first of all, it was a miracle, no question about it. It was one of the greatest achievements in human history when you think about what was actually accomplished and was a turning point in the war. It's one of those three or four mistakes Hitler made that cost him the war. Uh, 
so the, the whole point is this story is very well known amongst people like me. Okay, like it just I keep hearing it in some of the commentary online on YouTube and so on about how people would would um, say that there were Canadian troops in there. That's not true. There were no Canadian troops involved in the British Expeditionary Force at that time. And if I don't plug this in, there's not going to be much of a show because that laptop will die. All right. Anyway, uh, the point is there was a Canadian contingent contingent landed in Europe uh, in uh, during the Battle of France. But by the time they were landed ashore, the battle was already lost and they didn't want to get swept up and all that. So the, they got back on their ships and went back across the channel. Okay, to wait to the, for their Dieppe, which happened in August of 1943. So there were no Canadians in direct involvement by the Canadian military. Now, maybe there were some, there was obviously servicemen in the British Army, Air Force, and Navy who were of Canadian origin. So from that, uh, from that perspective, there certainly was Canadian participation, but not from an official point of view. So that's the needly little point. Who cares? The movie was unbelievable. Now I'm gonna. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Okay, I'm not. I, I don't want to take it away from you because if you can see it in an IMAX theater, by all means, go and see it there. But even if you can't, it's worth it. I promise you, it's worth it. The one th- there's uh, just a couple little things I'll tell you about it. It'll take a little bit of getting used to with the way the story is presented because there's three separate timelines during the same event. They cover the air story, they cover the Navy story, they cover the ground story. And the Navy story includes the fleet of civilian craft that came across from, uh, I think it was Dover they came over from. Uh, Well, they were from all over England, but the launch point for the recovery was, I think, Dover. Anyway, the point is that uh, they try to tell that story, and it takes a little adjusting. You have to give the the director, Mr. Nolan... um, you know, enough time so that you get used to the way the, the scenes shift from one element to the other, from the air to the ground to the water. And once you, once you understand what's going on, oh, my God, it's brilliant. It really is brilliant. It's for the kind of movie that it is, it's not overly gratu- gratuitously violent. Like I've had a couple of friends say, you know, this is a war, war story. How bad is it? Because I know some people who, when Saving Private Ryan came out, as an example, they couldn't handle the graphic violence in it. Now, that's not to say that Private Ryan wasn't a great movie. But their role in telling that story not only was about saving, but to show you the horror of war. There was no glory in that, in that movie at all. And neither, and neither is there in this. And you also have to remember that in this particular case in this movie, excuse me, You had a situation where, um, come on, there we go, where this there's a difference between a Hollywood-made war flick. Let's say take take one of the most recent ones, Hacksaw Ridge. It's a brilliant movie. I loved it. Okay, but it had it it served a different purpose. The British, when they tell a war story, they don't concentrate on a hero. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's different. And a couple of examples come to mind: the Battle of Britain, Sink the Bismarck. Um, and A Bridge Too Far are three classics that you can look at for an example of the differences. In the Battle of Britain, they had some huge names in that. Christopher Plummer, Michael Caine, there was all kinds of people in that movie who were uh, Hollywood superstars in their own right, or superstars. You know, 
and certainly in any other movie, would have been the featured character that you follow through the movie. Not in that case. And in this movie, in Dunkirk, they followed that tradition. There is no main character. Okay, there's there, you, 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 you get to experience the whole thing, and there's no one trying to steal the scene, if I could put it that way. Um, I can't remember the name of the actor who played the, the British uh, naval officer who was kind of running the show. He's a very famous uh, actor from King Henry V is where we all, everybody knew him from. And his name is just escaping me. Anyway, but the point is, uh, the whole point is that this is a movie that is unlike anything you've ever seen before and tells a very powerful story, but it does it in a very unique way. And it's worth it, even if you're not into war movies. Okay, like, look, there's people out there who don't like that, you know, who are, that's just not their thing. I love it from the historical point of view. And from a historical point of view, yes, they, they because of the length, they could only have this movie only ran a minute, uh, an hour 47 long. It's hard to tell a four-day story in an hour and 47 minutes. So they had to take a little bit of license, you know, and kind of compress things together, uh, that. But, hey, listen. Compared to what the, what came out at the other end, um, the way they portrayed the story, you don't unless you're like me, you wouldn't notice it anyway. You know, unless you know every little detail about it, then don't you know? You're not going to get hung up on that. Like I could knit, sit here and nitpick the naval side of it to pieces, but who cares? It wasn't about that. Isn't if you want historic that kind of historical accuracy, watch a documentary. Okay, because there was, I just I said, you know what? I don't care about that stuff. Like a lot of times I'll sit and watch a movie like uh, uh, one of my favorites is Hunt for Red October. Now, as a sailor, I can look at that movie and there's basically two two mistakes in it that drive me crazy. All right, One is the chrome periscope in the Russian sub and the other one is when they're down in the trench avoiding the torpedo. The captain never countermands the helm order that saves them. And in the real world, that ship just, that submarine would have careened into the other wall of the canyon and destroyed itself. But only somebody like me would know that. So anyway, the point was... I decided to, to suspend all that. I wasn't going to pay attention to that. I wasn't going to let it bother me. And they just it just blew me away. What a movie. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed that movie. And I, when I say enjoyed it, it's not from a... Um, uh, you know, I enjoyed it because it was so emotional. It, reached inside, it, it just reaches inside you and draws you right into it. You lose yourself in this. So it is very one. It's an amazing movie, and uh, it's a very important part of our history. And by our history, I'm talking about the West, you know, the world history, because it had that kind of implication. If the Germans had crushed the British at Dunkirk, there would have been no there would have been no British army to invade Africa later and Italy and Sicily. Okay, there would have been. Uh, she would have been open for invasion. Because even if you don't have a home guard, if you don't have an army standing on British soil, how do you defend against an invasion? Okay, yes, the Battle of Britain, blah, 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 all that. But it would have changed the whole, the blow to the British morale would have been staggering. And who knows whether they would have been able to survive it. But because they did, this is part of where they got the courage to go through the Blitz later on that summer. Because the Blitz started right after that. In the late in late May, uh, early June of, of 1940, um, is when the Blitz came. Or in the fall, sorry, they, they were in July, I think it started, and they went through the Blitz, 
And uh, because of that, that's where they got the courage to do it, uh, was from this example of how the British people came together in a way humanity had never seen before and hasn't seen since. So by all means, go and see that movie. Unless Now, I will caution you that I, uh, I have a friend of mine who has a spouse that is sensitive to, you know, uh, they, get, they tend to get a little bit, have a hard time with jittery screens and things like that. Okay, there's a lot of, not a lot, but there's some camera jiggling in it. Given the nature of the, of the story, that's understandable. Like when you have a ship at sea, especially a little boat, they bounce around a lot. So it's hard to get a steady shot. Okay, and you want that feeling anyway. So if somebody's a little bit sensitive to that, maybe watch it at home or, you know, uh, whatever. That's about the only concern I had from, from people's perspective. So, uh, yes, I'm raving and I'm blathering on about, you know, something that doesn't really matter in the greater scheme of things, except from a historical point of view. Man, I'm telling you. Now, there was a story. Uh, where are you? Uh, no, no, no. Don't tell me I left it up. Here it is. Now, you know something? Okay, so I just got done raving about this. And there's USA Today is a huge American magazine. Now, think of it what you want, but there's no doubt this is an influential magazine. And they are supposed to have editors, editors, not editors, um, who catch this kind of stuff. Well, obviously, they didn't. Because this guy called, his name is, I'll give you the, the guy, Brian Truitt, T-R-U-I-T-T, decided that he would add, uh, let me see, let me jump in here in the article, I'm quoting directly from the, from the uh, where's this come from, the Mail Online articles, a British, magazine, British newspaper. He added, Nolan's ambitious story revolves around three tales unfolding at different times over land, sea, and air, only coming together at the end. But Truett lamented, now listen to this, and this, I just, oh my God, I can't believe somebody would be so stupid as to say this. Okay. But Truett lamented the film's lack of diversity, claiming the fact there are only a couple of women and no lead actors of color may rub some the wrong way. You know, do these people ever pick up a book? Does it understand the world even a little bit is different today than it was in 1940? The reason why there were no leading women in this is because it wasn't a love story. This isn't Passchendaele. Okay? This isn't Pearl Harbor. There were no women in the British Expeditionary Force. That's why there was no leading females in it. Not because they were misogynists and didn't like women. Why were there no uh, black people in it? Because this is the British Army of 1940. They, they're, they're, if there were black people in it, I'm not saying there weren't, but they certainly did make up a very large percentage. It was a white army. Now, he got roasted. One guy, <coughs> excuse me, one guy uh, actually uh, criticized him on Twitter saying, historical accuracy, how dare they? And it's not that it's it's not from a perspective of of you know we don't like blacks we don't like women that's not that's not the point. As a matter of fact, <coughs> uh, the British, both the British and the French, had whole divisions of black troops drawn from their colonies, 
So it, it just there was none in the British Expeditionary Force. They had no role. So why would you create a character just to satisfy political correctness of today? That and anyway, I'm, I'm blathering on, but I just makes me crazy when I hear this kind of stuff because it was it's such a good movie. Why would you? Now he does go on and say, "Yes, it's a wonderful thing." Blah blah blah. Okay, great. That's that's wonderful. Glad you finally clued in. But why would you even go there in the first place? I mean, this guy is a writer for a major U.S. magazine. And he's worried about gender and color in the British Army in 1940? All right. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to get into something that's called betrayal. And I'll tell you more about that when we get back after this. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspect distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. All right. Now... Yeah, that work. Oh, look at it's just what I wanted it to. I think I'm finally starting to figure this thing out. You know, it's not rocket science, but I'm not a rocket scientist. So, all right, now betrayal. You know, this is one of those stories that you just want to beat your head against the wall. Oh, oh my good lord! I forgot myself completely. I forgot to give out the phone numbers for those of you online. Three four three seven zero zero four three nine zero eight four four five six two four seven six six. That's 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. And, of course, if you're on Facebook and you want to give me a call, we can do that now. We are technologically advanced enough. Isn't that cool? All right. Now, <sighs> betrayal. Yes. This is one of the most egregious stories. You know, every time I think this guy has hit the bottom, he finds a way to take dynamite and blow right through it. Who am I talking about? Well, take a guess who I'm talking about, and that's our Wonder Boy King, our little boy King, Trudeau. He's removing the warning against FGM, which is female genital, genital mutilation, and if you don't know what that is, look it up. I'm not going to describe it here. And honor killings from Citizenship Guide. All right. In a deeply disturbing move, the Trudeau government is making revisions to the Canadian Citizenship Guide, including the removal of warnings against barbaric cultural practices, including... Uh, female genital mutilation, or FGM, and honor killings. As noted by CTV, in the draft version of the new guide, the references to barbaric cultural practices is gone, as is the inclusion of getting a job as one of the responsibilities of citizenship. Now, 
the new guide would divide citizenship into voluntary and mandatory obligations. Get this. This comes from the same government. Well, let me, let me read this and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. Uh, shockingly, while paying taxes, filling up the census, and respecting treaties are all considered mandatory, the new guide plans to say that respecting the human rights of others is voluntary. Really? Isn't that interesting, Omar Cotter? What did he just say? Not three weeks ago. When a Canadian's charter rights are violated, the government must act. Does that sound voluntary to you? This stuff is enough to make you pull your hair out. So filling up the census is mandatory. But respecting the human rights of others is voluntary. So it's more important then to fill out the long-form census, which is invasive, intrusive, and none of their business, but respecting human rights is voluntary? Am I the only one that, that... No, of course I'm not. But it's just... Oh, my Lord, it makes me cross my eyes. Okay, it goes on. The combination of remo- removing a warning against FGM and honor killings and then saying respecting human rights is others voluntaries is a total betrayal of Canadian values and it should be disturbing to all of us. No kidding, absolutely. <sighs> all right. So... What do you think of that? I mean, I got to tell you, it's enough. I just, this is what makes me crazy. Not only is he completely, we used to call guys like him Pepsi. Do you know why? Or Pepsi bottle. Do you know why? Because it's empty from the neck up. Not only is he like a bottle of Pepsi or Coke, or any whatever your favorite beverage is, good Lord, forget, heaven forbid I leave one of them out. Um, yes, I know I'm preaching to the choir. That's why they're here. <laughs> Doug just said, you're preaching to the choir. See, I do pay attention to this stuff. Um, <laughs> but um, now, Douglas, you made me lose my thought. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh, no, uh, the whole point is that he's not, when Harper said he's just not ready, it was more than a campaign slogan. Yes, it was a campaign slogan, obviously one that didn't work well enough. But it was also the truth. Now, that's a rare thing, campaign slogans and truth aligning. But in this case, Mr. Harper was absolutely right. The kid isn't ready. He will never be ready. Well, maybe he was 107. Maybe we'll let him be prime minister for an hour then. But at this rate, he's never going to be ready because he, okay. So now you've got this guy who is an intellectual lightweight, is not respected on the world stage, no matter what the lefties tell you. But the progressives say, oh, he's doing great with the economy. Oh, my God, look at all how the economy is growing. You didn't, you know, Harper, he's already, and Harper's bad and Trudeau's good. And it's going on and just like, no, 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 no. First of all, when you want to compare the economic record of Harper to Trudeau, okay, let's see how our boy king does if he were back in 2008 and all of a sudden the floor falls out of the real estate. Um, remember all that stuff where the, the we very nearly had a major economic meltdown? The United States was in huge trouble. A lot of Western countries were in huge trouble. Which one didn't get into trouble? 
us. Why? Because previous prime ministers, both conservative and liberal, were smart enough to leave the banking system alone and not make any changes to it. I had a conversation with my son earlier today, and he said, Dad, you, and he's 23, and he, re, he, spends, he, he spends a lot of time reading about economics, and he said, do you know why Britain lasted as the world's power for as long as it did? Because for, for like six or 700 years, they did not mess with their banking system. They, didn't, they made a little tweak here or there, but they didn't change the fundamentals. So people got used to how it worked, and they learned to work within it, and it wasn't perfect, but they could count on it. Here, in our modern Western democracies, every time five years we throw the rule book out and reinvent it again, except in Canada. Until now. So how well would he have managed? <laughs> As I said online, if he'd have been in the middle of that mess back in 2008, he'd been flopping around like a codfish in the bottom of a Newfie's dory. He wouldn't have any idea what to do because, hey, the balance, the budget will balance itself. Hey, don't you worry. You guys figure it out. You got the calculators. Oh, my God. Yeah, subprime mortgage. That was it. That was the, the problem. Thanks, Robert. Um, there, it was the subprime mortgage problem. So you got this situation where what exactly planet are you living on? Then, so, okay. So he's got this value. He's He is, on top of all that, he's taken any sense of decency, and I had an argument on Facebook um, over the last few days, and the argument was, well, this stuff's already illegal. We doesn't need to be in the hand, citizen's hand guide because it's already illegal. Really? Okay, that's fine. But in that case, then why do we need speed limits on, uh, on highways? Because speeding's illegal. And if that's like bound, the foundation for your argument then everybody knows it's illegal. We should just pull all the speed limit signs down. Well, no, they're different in different areas. It doesn't matter. The principle's the same. We put them up as a reminder that, yes, it's illegal, and if you exceed them, here's the, you know what the penalty is. So what's wrong with reminding new citizens coming to this country who want to take part in our society of saying, by the way, barbaric practices like honor killings and FGM are not tolerated in Canada? There's a recent case where a guy beat his wife for half an hour with a hockey stick. I think he was from Syria or someplace like that. And you know what his defense was? I didn't know it was illegal. I didn't know. Nobody told me. Hey, there's reason enough. Put it, put it, leave it in the in the in the citizen's handbook to begin with. I mean, what's the point of having one if you're not going to have consistent Canadian values? See, the thing is. Trudeau doesn't have any values. He's like a windsock at an airfield, whichever way the wind is blowing. As a matter of fact, it's even worse than that. Because even when the wind blows against him, he doesn't care. He's got his own agenda, and he just... Uh. So, yes, it's, it's frustrating to think about. It's frustrating to talk about. Because you have this situation. Now, okay, so now there's another issue. Uh, let me go back to the story if I can find it. Betrayal, yeah, okay, we're doing that one. There's a story where uh, there's a petition out there. And if I can make this a little larger because my old eyes can't see that well. I'll put my glasses on too. That'll help a lot. No, no. 
down one. There we are. Okay, there's a petition out there. And you have, it used to be um, that it was a criminal offense. Now, I will admit, I did not know this. But under the Criminal Code of Canada, it was an offense for someone to walk into a house of worship and disrupt that worship service. Well, they're pulling that. Let's see, uh, let's say Bill C-51, an act to amend the Criminal Code and Department of Justice Act to make the consequential amendment to another act. I'm reading from the petition here. It proposes to remove Section 176 of the Criminal Code Act, which would eliminate protection for faith. Excuse me. Uh, for malicious interference with funeral rituals and other assemblies of any faith. In May 2017, parliamentarians unanimously passed Bill C-305, an act to amend the criminal code that will give an extra protection to the building or structure that is a prim primarily used for religious worship, including a church, mosque, synagogue, or temple. While the Parliament of Canada is strengthening protection of property through Bill C-305 by eliminating Section 176 of the Criminal Act, it is weakening the protection for faith leaders and assemblies of people from freely practicing their religion, whatever that religion may be, on those same properties. According to Statistics Canada, over one-third of reported hate crimes in Canada were motivated by, by hatred of a religion. Thus, repealing Section 176 would remove valuable protection for faith leaders and assemblies. Will somebody please explain this to me? How do you protect the building but not the people that go there? And when you consider, we've had an attack on a mosque, we've had attacks on synagogues, we've had attacks in churches. There was an attack right here in Ottawa, in Ottawa. I think it was the Basilica, St. Anne's Basilica or St. Pat's, where some crazy person walked in and attacked a crucifix, and it was a full life-size, broke the arm off it. Just, that was against the law. Now it's not. Well, she couldn't attack that, but she could disrupt the service. And no one could do anything about it. There's no law against it anymore. They want to rep So how, how do you make that? How can you say that on one hand you want, to protect, you want to protect places of worship, but you don't want to protect the worshipers? I, 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 just, I, I sit here like everybody else. Just, yeah, don't choke on it. It's exactly right. Um, anyway, the point is, it's, it's so hypocritical that words, uh, I run out of ways to describe what's wrong with this. It's either one way or the other. I would prefer that the place of worship and the worshipers, regardless of what faith they belong to, are protected. I, let, let's face it. If you have a congregation of whatever denomination and they're in a worship service, they're not thinking about some violent attack coming out of nowhere. They're a little bit vulnerable. So why would the government, if, if there already is protection for them, why would they repeal it? I guess that's my question. Um, why would they repeal that? I don't know either. Let me take a quick break. I'll come back and we'll get into some more stuff right after this. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, 
and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. EMM Group is the authorized IntegraSpec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made IntegraSpec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at IntegraSpec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. Now, going from one lap of lunacy to another, <sighs> Kathleen Wynne, Dalt slash Dalton McGinty um, have been preaching from the Green Bible for over a decade now. You know, they wanted this green economy. They wanted to move past the auto industry. They wanted to do for Ontario uh, in the new century through green technology, what the automobile industry did for Ontario in the 20th century. Uh, to which I respond, good luck with that. But you would think they'd be pretty committed to that. But if you remember the war on coal-fired power plants here in Ontario, they were they shut down every single coal-fired power plant in the province. And the reason they did it was they said, asthma, oh, and I'm not, I'm not don't get me wrong, I'm not, I, well, I've got a child that's got asthma. And, uh, you know, there are days when breathing isn't, isn't easy. But at the same time, if that's the battle cry you want to ra- raise, why would you go out and have your public utility, otherwise known affectionately by all of us, as Hydro One and let them buy a U.S. utility for $6.7 billion? And this isn't just any utility. This is a coal-fired power plant in Montana, one of the largest on the continent. And it is not exactly, oh, how should we say, a pristine site. Now, look, uh, the Sierra Club I don't have a lot of use for. They call it a toxic waste site. So I'll take that with a grain of salt, but I will admit it, I don't know that I'd be drinking any water coming, coming out of its tailing ponds or whatever they have up there. Okay, It's not exactly the most environmentally friendly place on Earth. But why would you get involved in that in the first place? Now... Let me share with you a little of the story. Hydro One is buying a massive U.S. utility in a $6.7 billion deal being touted as a win by the Ontario government, which currently owns 49% of the transmitter. This is out of the Toronto Star, Wednesday, July 19th, so it's about a week old. I just haven't had a chance to get to it till now. The Toronto-based company, the majority of which Premier Kathleen Wynne um, uh Bankroll transportation, you sold off. That's what's missed the word, missing word there. Uh, 
Premier Kathleen Wynne sold off to bankroll transportation and infrastructure announced Wednesday it was purchasing Avista, which operates in Washington State, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, and Alaska. And as I mentioned, Montana is where this plant is. This marks a proud moment for Canadian champions as we grow our business into a North American leader, said Hydro One President Mayo Schmidt, uh, who noted it would, fu- it would vault the firm into the continent's top 20 electricity companies. You know something? I always thought the idea behind a public utility was that it was supposed to be nonprofit, and they were supposed to. That was the deal when we first set this thing up back in 1900 or whenever it got started. That this hydro would be provided at cost to the public of Ontario as one of the benefits of living in Ontario. Well, that's long gone. I get it, but how do you anyway? Schmidt said the transaction demonstrates the power and value of the transition into an investor-owned utility by allowing for healthy expansion into new lines of regulated utility business and new jurisdictions, such as the U.S. Pacific Northwest. So what he's saying is we don't want none of that nasty coal over here. But we don't care if the Americans have to inhale all that crap that this thing puts out. If you believe the original arguments about why they shut down coal, then... You know, you, I thought these people thought globally. And I thought they thought we were all part of one global village. Where did all that nonsense go? Okay. Energy, Mr. Energy, Energy Minister Glenn Thibault, whose government has taken heat for privatizing Hydro One, said Queen Park was pleased by the acquisition, which is subject to approval by U.S. regulators. It's expected to deliver clear benefits from the company's customers, employers, and shareholders, including the people of Ontario, given the government's position as the single largest shareholder in Hydro One. Now, I believe Kathleen Wynne, uh, I want to get down to where she answers. Uh, let's see. Yeah, yeah, that's all nice. Uh, doom. Anyway, the whole one of the arguments, I don't see that I'm missing that particular part of the story. I'm not missing it, but I just can't find it. I want to waste a lot of time looking for it. But Kathleen Wynne came out and said, well, maybe we can, maybe we can uh, share our values about green energy through through uh, our expansion in the United States. Are you serious? Do you actually have a pulse? Is there a brain in there? First of all, there's, okay. So you're thinking about, if you're thinking about this like I am, you ask yourself, $6.7 billion we do not have. This province was, until this deal, uh, about $315 billion was the last official number. So it's probably higher than that now. Well, I know it's higher than that now. So, but let's take it at $315 billion. We're now over $321.7 billion in the hole if this deal goes through, which is money our kids and our grandkids and their kids are going to have to pay back because one of these days somebody's going to come a-knocking looking for that money. And what are we going to do if interest rates go up? And they are slowly edging up. Bank of Canada raised rates, I think it was last week or the week before. Now, mind you, it was only a small increase. But when you're talking on a debt of $300 billion plus, even a fractional rate is tens of millions of dollars lost to us that we have to pay in interest. So there's that. The hypocrisy on the environment is enough to choke a team of horses. And I'm talking draft horses. I'm talking Clydes, Belgians, and Percherons, and maybe even Shires. And if you know anything about horses, you know what I'm talking about. Those are mighty big animals. 
So the hypocrisy, the, just the double, the double standard. You know, there's, there's, there's so much wrong with this. There's so many things wrong with this whole adventure. The, the, it's like a nightmare that just won't end. I just cannot, for the life of me, understand how people can look at this and say, yes, well, actually, did you know, I found this out today, because uh, I hadn't looked in a while, but Kathleen Wynne took a 25% jump in her popularity rate. It went from 11 to 15%. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what that means is it used to be just her and her office staff thought she was doing a good good job. Now her and her office staff and one of the MPs, MPP's office down the road thinks she's doing a good job. So if you lined up 100 people, you took 100 people randomly off the street in Ontario and you asked them if they thought Kathleen Wynne was doing a good job, now we went from 11 people that would say yes to 15, and oh my God, that's great. We 25% increase in numbers. Right. So if her number was one and they went to two, you'd say it was 50% and think that was a good thing? Anyway, so this is just more of this shell game. And you know something? I'm going to get into this thing. Where is it? Well, the, okay, yeah, there's that. I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, where did it go? I have a story in here about the fight between um, Lisa McLeod and Goldie Gamari. I thought I brought that story up. Okay, let me dig it. I'll dig it up uh, on, over the next break. I'll pull it up. But this, basically, in a nutshell, Lisa's saying that Goldie Gamari, uh, now they've kissed and made up because from behind the scenes, somebody grabbed them both by the back of the neck and said, knock it off. Uh, but it's way too late for that. The damage the conservatives are doing to themselves uh, by this, uh, as uh, my friend Brian Lilly would say, they've been shooting in their own tent, uh, are all saying, you know what? Um, we got to stop this. It's too late. Uh, they've, they've done so much damage to the reputation of the party that it doesn't matter what Patrick Brown does now. He's tainted. Uh, it's just he's a dictator. That's the only way to put it. He, so anyway, they were arguing and yelling back and forth at each other. And, and basically, uh, Lisa came out and said she's not a real conservative. She's, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, so don't, ta- don't take this as a direct quote. But pointed out that uh, Goldie, her credentials as a conservative aren't really that strong. And I tend to agree with her because we went over that story when all that broke last November, October, November, uh, pretty thoroughly. And uh, she was a lot of things, but conservative wasn't one of them. And there's been nothing that I've seen to change that. So that kind of stuff, uh, this is all laid at the feet of Patrick Brown. None of this, including the res- the, the rise of new um, people, uh, new parties calling themselves conservative, uh, and uh, I don't mean to, to rain on anybody's parade, but the Trillium Party is a centrist party. Go and look at their platform. Uh, just have a look at it. Um, I know that uh, Jack and, the, and uh, not Jack, um, Tom Black and the landowners have endorsed them. Um, and, with, uh, and when I say this, I mean it sincerely. I have a lot of respect for the landowners, and Tom I consider a personal friend. Uh, I, I've known Tom for a long time, and when I first heard of this, I actually called him and said, are you sure you want to do this? Because uh, this isn't what it's... Because I've met the leader of the Trillium Party, and I don't mean to be disparaging as far as they're concerned, but he's just not a conservative. He's a centrist. And don't let the fancy words fool you. And I said, you've been fooled a couple of times now. 
and he admitted that his track record with, with this kind of thing wasn't that strong. So, okay, you know, you endorse whoever you want to, but the Ontario Alliance Party that's about ready to get off the ground um, is far more conservative than the Trillium is. And for my money, it's the place to park your vote when it, when it does. And as soon as it's off the ground, I will let you know. If you want to uh, sign the petition, it's still available. At, I think it's OntarioAlliance.com. Um, you can go and sign the, the petition there, download it, sign it, send it in. Um, every All the details you need are there. Uh, during the break, I'll have a quick look, um, see if I can find it at the top of the hour, and uh, I'll, I'll put that back up for you so that you can go and, and uh, sign the petition to, to make sure that – or help – um, join and there is a lot of momentum around getting this party off the ground. So you're not, it's not a you're you know one one petition signer. You're one of me, a thousand. So let's let's see what we can do about getting that done. Um, but anyway, this isn't helping. Is this um, uh, somebody says? What do I mean by centrist? They're they're they talk a good game. Uh, that's Adam is asking that, and he says, what do you mean by centrist? Uh, they want one public school board they don't they want to close down the catholic school board um and there's been a lot of talk from different people about that my answer to that argument is if you're going to close down a school board why would you close down the better of the of, of the two public versus catholic because the catholic has a better reputation and produces a better product uh than does the public system and i don't think there's much argument about that so if you're going to uh, get rid of one why the catholic one or is it you just have a problem with the catholic faith you have a problem with anything Catholic. There's certainly some of that out there. And uh, if you dig into when you get into conversations with people like that, uh, you know, who want to shut down that, a lot of it has to do with how they feel about the Catholic Church. All right, that's fair. They can feel any way they want about it. But the bottom line is if you're looking at it from an eco economic point of view. So that's one reason. And the other reason is uh, during conversations with um, the president, Mr. Yasek, um, there was a lot of things that were being said around the table that indicated he's a, he wanted to move to the center to govern. You know, should the Trillium Party win, he, he wants to move to the center. Well, we already have three parties in this province that do that, that want to do that. We have the NDP, we've got the Liberals, and we've got the, the PCs. They all govern from the center. Now, some people say, well, you campaign them to the right and you govern. The, you know what? That's what's got us into this mess in the first place. We don't need any more centrist government. What we need is a clear alternative. And after I've done my homework and done some investigating and had conversations with these people, they're not, they're not an alternative I could endorse. It's nothing personal. It's just when it comes to this, we're, you know, we only have so many opportunities to get this right. So that's why I say they're not centrist. Or they're centrist party because they are. All right, now, oh, yes, pretty boy. I forgot about this. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. We're going to get back because the Rolling Stones has found our Savior. I'll share that with you right after this. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. 
If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. All right. Now, yes, going back to the uh, national stage for a minute. The, the <laughs> if you don't laugh, you cry. You know what? I remember years ago, Lowell Green would, would say he's going to go beat his head against the brick wall. I think I might have one installed down here because here in the, in the uh, bunker because I'll tell you what. I get it. <laughs> I know why. <laughs> Man, oh, man, it's either laugh or cry. Okay, so the Rolling Stone, which, let's face it, um, isn't the magazine that it used to be. Um, I don't think I've ever bought a copy. I've read the odd one. But over my, you know, because it's been around for almost 50 years. Next year it's his 50th anniversary. And they tend to lean to the left like a lot of, um, you know, they're in the arts world, and a lot of people in the arts world tend to lean left. And um, these guys don't lean, they fall. That's just as bad as it is. Anyway, so I've got the article that that they were talking about, and the caption of this just blows me away. Justin Trudeau, the North Star. He was raised in a jet-set privilege, uh, but overcame tragedy to become Canada's prime minister. Is he the free world's best hope? Short answer, not on your life. (laughs) <laughs> okay, but here's how they paint this guy. All right, so I'm going to jump in in the second paragraph, setting the stage here. He's talking to uh, the press corps, and they, you know, they're fawning over him. And oh, isn't he wonderful? What great hair! He owns your handshake. Blah blah blah. Who cares? Anyway, and he's bragging about the accomplishments uh, that just make you know it's more no, no, more Trudopian nonsense. Hey, I like that word, Trudopian. Oh, by the way, the phone numbers for those of you online, if you want to join the conversation, is 343-700-439-844-562-4766. Those are two separate numbers, by the way. It's not all one number. 343-700-4390 or 844-562-4766. And if you want to try a call on Facebook, please go right ahead. If you want to do that, just click on my name on your Facebook page. And hit the little telephone icon and the little bo- private message box that pops up, and uh, we'll take your phone call. All right, now, here's wh- how they paint this guy. Jumping in in the second paragraph, paragraph, 
Make sure I got it. Here we are. Okay. It's strange to wit. It's strange to witness. He speaks in a modulated, indoor voice. His dark hair is a colorful. No, let me try try that again. His dark hair is a color found in nature. At home, there's a glamorous wife and three photogenic children still not old enough to warm his seat at the next week's G20 summit or be involved in an espionage scandal. Okay, so they can't leave Trump alone even when they're talking, not talking about him. When Trudeau moves on to his feminist bona fide women and minorities make up more than half of his cabinet, he pauses for a moment but does not lose his train of thought. His words are coherent and will not need to be run through Google Translate when he's done except if you want to translate his French to English. He talks about steps taken to deal with the opioid crisis and mentions the country's dropping unemployment rate. He uses the original Clintonian recipe on the crowd. We're focused on getting people into good careers and helping families get ahead and stay ahead, he says, but we know there's more hard work in front of us than there is behind us. Then he gives the press corps a high five. The back and forth between the press and the government is essential to any good democracy, he says, when you're at your best, it reminds us and challenges us to be at ours. So thank you for all your tireless work. I got news for you. If this is his best, it's not nearly good enough. First of all, I've never read such tripe in my life. Somebody, and I'm, by next week, I'm hoping to have the ability to play clips. Because somebody on Facebook tonight uh, posted a video of one minute of Trudeau going, um, uh, 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 um, uh, uh. And it's all, you know what, you could do it to the beat of a song. Um, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, um, uh. Would be funny. You could have some fun with that. But the bottom line here is just, the man is a, he, he can hardly string, he sounds like me, hardly string a sentence together without going um or ah in it somewhere. Now, I'm not prime minister. I'll never be prime minister. Okay, no one would be foolish enough to elect me prime minister. That's, believe me, that's a good thing because I wouldn't last a week. They'd throw me out of my ear in no time. I could see the governor general coming, summoning me to Rideau Hall and say, yeah, this prime minister thing isn't working. No, working for me. Uh, bye. Anyway, uh, oh, we should be so lucky. Anyway, the, the, the point is that he's not eloquent. There's a lot of things... Look, when he goes when he goes off script, he's terrible. Even when he's talking, you know, have look, if you've ever listened to someone talk about something they know the the content of the topic really really well, they don't even need notes. Watch Jordan Peterson sometime. You want to talk about an eloquent man? Listen to him talk. Never mind whether you like him or not. That's not the point. Listen to people like Michael Fer Nigel Farage. Doesn't need notes. Because he knows the stuff inside out. Even Bernie Sanders was okay at that, was good at that. Uh, you want another example from the left? Fine. Uh, Jack uh, uh, Layton. Uh, Mad Dog Mulcair. There's no ums or ahs in those guys. Because whether you agree with what they know or not, they know it. Trudeau? You know what? He wouldn't know when to... And, oh, I was a kayak and wet water canoe instructor. I doubt he'd know one end of the canoe from the other. Put him in a round boat and tell him. <laughs> anyway. Oh, man. Yes, I know, GJ, anyone can be prime minister. Obviously, with this guy in office, that's true. But that doesn't necessarily mean it would be a good idea. Anyway, so 
The Rolling Stone magazine thinks he's he's the the next, the world's savior. Well, you know what? If this is the world's future, I'm walking to Mars. If I I'm going to Mars, if I have to walk. This is just because I want off this rock. This place is absolutely out of its mind. So I just thought I'd share that with you because it's. Are you serious? Like, it's it just makes you just shake your head because. It's one thing to be left like I, there are people on on my Facebook page that I actually grudgingly respect. Okay, um, they're left wing, very left wing, completely opposed to me. But there's there's intelligence behind who they are. You know, the, their thought pattern. I can understand how they got to that point. I don't agree with it, and we'll go back and forth, hammer and tongs sometimes. That's fine. I can stay. I can put up with that. Like when in in, the, in I hate to say this, but in the good old days when politicians still had some level of respect in society, you would have a liberal and a conservative, and they would argue over what's best for the country. But the common thread was they both cared about the country. They both just disagreed on which way was the best way to govern that country. That's not true anymore. That is not true anymore especially when it's talking about our boy King Trudeau. He doesn't care. He's, he's told us more than once that he's a transnational, trans, what, what was the phrase? Post-national prime minister. What, what does that mean? It means he doesn't care about the country. He cares about the planet. You know, Hillary Clinton's book, takes more than, more than it takes a village to raise a child. No, it doesn't. It takes two parents. That's what it takes. But anyway, that's besides the point. He, what, what, what's driving a lot of this is he wants a seat on the UN Security Council. And he's doing everything in his power to, to appease the UN globalists who have this idea that they want to run the whole show. Sorry, I'm not interested in that. I don't want that. I want to, you know what? I would far rather follow a liberal prime minister who is passionately absolutely beside himself patriotic and love this country enough to be willing to lay his life down in its defense. Even an NDP prime minister. As long as they love the country. But when you put your party ahead of your country, I have a problem with that. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's what Harper, Harper never did that. You can, you can tell me all the stupid stories you want to. That's just not true. Whether you agreed with what he did or not, that's fine. You can argue with that all day long. That's certainly part of the discourse. But I don't think anybody ever doubted the fact that he was first and foremost a Canadian. And I would think that's the first qualification. That's why Ignatieff never got anywhere. He wasn't a Canadian. He was Canadian by birth, but he was an American. And the same thing with Kevin O'Leary. He came up because he thought it would be cool. One of the first priorities about being a prime minister is you got to love the place you live in. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me to do anything else. That, that If you don't love the country that you want to lead to the point that you'll be willing to sacrifice, if necessary, your life, then you're not fit for the job. Because you're willing to ask other people to do it. 
order other people to do it. You know, the men and women in the military and the police forces and so on to uphold the rule of law and go and, and defend our national interests abroad, sometimes that can be a fatal occupation. So if you're willing to send others into harm's way, then at least you should be willing to stand up if it ever came to it and put yourself in the same kind of situation. All right. We shall take a break. I'll take my little two-minute break, so bear with me. I'll be back in a moment. I'm going to try and find that Ontario Alliance link for you, and we'll get back into this right after this on the Nick at Night Show. So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one, but maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold, and, and, and you'll be fine. night does not exist without advertisers so if you want to buy time you contact either myself jc at latenightcouncil.com or you can contact nick if you're more comfortable with him and of course i certainly understand that you can contact nick at latenightcouncil.com the ads are like really really cheap i mean you're gonna you're gonna love them okay we've, we've made them quite accessible Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night.
All right, hour two straight ahead. Let's get into this because there's plenty to get into. Well, let me tell you. All right, there we go. That stopped so I can turn that back up. Okay, now, I was just thinking about um, my uh, granddaughter, Haley. I have two of them. And uh, I worry about my, well, I don't worry about them. But uh, as you all know, I've got eight kids. And I'm hoping that uh, of my three boys, one of them will, will have a son. And the reason is because I'm the last Vandergrat in North America. Uh, male Vandergrat, that is. Uh, well, that's not, technically that's not true. My uncle, Jack, lives out west. But he's in his mid-70s now, so you know, he's not going to get, he was never married, he was a bachelor. So the family name ends with me if these three guys um, don't produce a male offspring. I have three boys. <laughs> Come on, you know. So anyway, um, so far, no luck. Drum roll. No, I'm not doing a drum roll. Uh, if I... <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, the grandchildren we do have, we love dearly, of course. And uh, Haley is the oldest of the two. She's three. She's three years old. And the latest little thing she said, because she has an amazing vocabulary... She was saying uh, a while ago, one of her favorite sayings was, someone would ask her what the word vocabulary means. And she would look at you with that little innocent face, and she would say, well, a vocabulary is a group of words that we know. (laughs) And after you got done laughing over that, uh, the other day she was at our place. They spent a lot of time, you know, at Grammy and Grampy's place. And uh, sometimes a little too much, but eh, who cares? You send them home with their parents when you've had enough. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, her mother was in the kitchen and she couldn't see her and the barbecue was on so her her mother Kate went outside said Haley I want you to come into the kitchen she says no I'm going to stay here and she's standing on a flat rock near the near the walkway up to the house and she says no Haley I'm going to insist you have to come inside because I can't see you and I don't want you around the barbecue uh, when I can't see you and Haley said no mom she said Haley why won't you come in? And Haley crossed her little arms over her chest like this, and she just said, well, I just want to stand here and watch the world go by. Three years old. So <laughs> if you don't have grandkids, I'm telling you, you're in for a treat. Now, John used to tell me that all the time because he's got some great kids too. And he said, well, you can't w- wait till you have grandkids. It's a ball. And you know what? I'm at the point in my life where... I don't want to go back to the days when I had my own and they were all small. I was a younger man with more energy then. Uh, like now, I like more lengthy periods of, of quiet and, and calm. I've had my, my boat's been rocked enough getting to this point. And just <laughs> anyway, so to hear her say that was priceless. But um, if you don't have grandkids yet, I certainly hope you have a bucket full because they are a lot of fun. Now... All right, I tried to find that Ontario Alliance uh, thing, and I know it's on my Facebook page somewhere, but I don't have time to scroll down that far to find it. Um, But I will, and I'll post it after the show. Unless somebody wants to send it to me in a link, and I'll post it that way. Uh, Let's see. Let's get back into this. Okay, now, how hard is it, do you think? I mean, if you were a doctor... Oh, let me give you the numbers for those of you online if you want to call in, because there's no point having a talk show call-in talk show if you don't hand out the numbers once in a while. 
Those numbers are 343-700-4390 or 844-562-4766. So you can certainly give us a call and uh, join in the conversation. Now everybody can hear you, so there's no problem. And if you're on Facebook and you want to join us uh, via, uh, you know, uh, interact talking, uh, I can't, we'll call it a phone call for lack of a better term. Just click on my name on Facebook and uh, in your contacts list if you're um, a friend on Facebook. And you can hit the little, uh, when the little chat window pops up, there's a little telephone icon. Hit that. I'll get the call and we'll put you on the air and we can talk. Uh, so, with that said, Oh, yes. Uh, one of the things that all of us have to keep into account, like my, I've got a great family doctor. Dr. Harris out of Berry's Bay is a great guy. He's a bit of a hippie. Uh, he wears a braided ponytail, and, you know, he's got a full beard and all that. But he's a great guy. And I have uh, nothing but respect for the man, okay? I'm just trying to give you an idea of what his personality is like. He's very kind of laid back. And uh, we try not to get too much into politics, but both of us are political junkies, so... When I do go in to see him, which I try not to anymore and absolutely have to, um, invariably we spend a few minutes talking politics. And I do try to curtail that because that's not why I'm there. And I don't want to take his time away from other patients as well. So anyway, um, but people have to to face the fact that, oh, there it is, Ontario. Oh, that's what I missed. Okay, so let me click on that. There it is. Okay, so I'm going to post that on my Facebook page right over here. I have the link now. That's what's going on, and I'm going to put it up right now. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate that. So let's see. We'll put that right there. So if you want to go to my Facebook page, and it's OntarioAlliance.ca, and that is a PDF that will take you right to it. You can download it, sign it, and mail it. All the information required is go ahead and post it, Facebook. Come on. Anyway, it'll post in a minute. So you can do that uh, if you don't have any problem with another political party. You don't even have to agree with them. Okay, that's not it. Uh, but in that document, um, you will also find the, the core values and principles of what the party stands for. Okay, and I know a lot of the people who are involved in putting this together, and I can tell you they are rock-solid conservatives, like social conservatives. And if you're dismayed about where to park your vote in the next election, there you go. Um, and as soon as that party is uh, officially official, <laughs> we'll be sure to have somebody from the party in and we'll tell you all about it. Uh, in the meantime, certainly add your name and add weight to the petition and get that done. All right, now, um, what was I talking about? See, I, Oh, yeah, uh, doctors. So you have a situation... One of the things we talk about many times when I talk to, uh, when we get into politics, is, you know, what's it like to be a doctor in Ontario today? And he just shakes his head. So I asked him, uh, you know, he'll tell me that the paperwork is the killer. The, the, the unbelievable mountain of paperwork that he has to submit to the government. You know, and each one, in each form, in and of itself, you understand the logic for it. You know, you want it. You want to make sure everything's being done correctly. and so. But when you look at it in totality, it's this crushing weight. And doctors are getting burned out because they spend so much time filling out paperwork. They're limited by the amount of paperwork they have to do to how many patients they can see. It's, I suppose you could say it's a way of controlling and rationing health care. 
So there's that. And I asked him, I said, is the money worth it? Because doctors, you know, everybody thinks family doctors make good money. And he said, no, it's not. You know, he makes good money, but he doesn't make fantastic money. He's no millionaire by any stretch. He said, I would not recommend somebody become a general practitioner. And he isn't the only one. There's a family friend of ours that is also, um, uh, I'm trying to think. There's also a GP, and all she'll work is emergency room. She doesn't have a practice. She closed it down years ago because of the same reason. Okay. She didn't like a lot of the moral, uh, ethical situations that her, uh, that the government was putting her in, like she would not refer somebody to abortion services. And that's just her personal view. She didn't believe in birth control, so if they wanted it, they'd, she would refer them to another doctor who might give it, but she wasn't going to hand it out, that kind of thing. So uh, Maria is a, an amazing lady. I have a ton of respect for her as well. But they both say that the amount of paperwork and the, versus the amount of money they make, the two just don't equate. So Dr. Harris, is, uh, I asked him, I said, so how much longer? Because he's about my age. I said, how much longer are you going to continue to practice? And six months ago, he told me 18 months. Now, I'm, I'm 55. And I'm getting to the point in my life where I'm starting to need a little bit of health care. I'm a diabetic. I have different, you know, different issues related to that that I have to deal with. And he's been with me every step of the way on that, getting it under control. And I'm, I'm fine. And, you know, we've, we're controlling with drugs and things like that. This isn't a plea for sympathy. This is just, you know, the fact I'm just making the point that as people get older, they need more health care. And the first person you go to is your GP. So, and all of that to lead up to this, okay? We have a story out of the Ottawa Sun today. Um, Fed's tax crackdown will nail Ontario doctors and cut care. That's a warning by the Medical Association. Now, they're talking about, I, I'm, okay, the federal government is planning to suck millions of dollars out of Ontario doctors' pockets with tweaks to the tax system destabilizing their shaky relationship with the provincial government and maybe leading them to work less. What I would hope is that they would take a thoughtful, measured response to this and say, how is this going to affect, it, affect tiny medical businesses? How is it going to affect patient care? Said Dr. Sean Watley, I believe I'm saying that right, the president of the Ontario Medical Association, in an interview Monday. There's a really good argument for cracking down on income sprinkling, one of the moves that Federal Finance Minister Bill Monroe promised last week, which is a really good reason for doctors to be angry about. It's part of an effort to close loopholes and address, address tax planning strategies that give unfair tax advantages, he, Monroe said. Well, first, let me stop there. And the point I want to make about that is, you know, if taxes weren't so high, people wouldn't work so hard to avoid them. When you see people start, start to try to find ways to shelter their income, it means the government's reaching too deeply into their pockets. And the fault, like if you take an orange, maybe that orange contains three ounces of juice if it's a big orange. I don't know. I never bothered to measure how much orange. But if you squeeze it and you get three ounces out of it, squeezing it more, you might get a few more drops, but sooner or later, there's no juice left to squeeze, right? Well, the economy works the same way. There's only so much money in the economy, and if you take too much of it out under taxation, you remove it from the economy so it can't do what it does best, and that's create wealth, jobs, and employment. 
And this goes on and on and on. So now you've got a scenario where the government is cracking down on a group of people who are burning out, retiring, and not refer, not suggesting to people who are looking to jobs to take job their job to become a family patrician. They're not recommending it. So how does this help that? You see, this is even if it makes it doesn't make economic sense, but even if it did, you know, sometimes you got to look at the whole picture and say, if I do this, what are the consequences? What happens if I squeeze over here to fill this glass? What happens over here? There's, there's, there's a problem. And that problem is that you simply can't keep taking. You just can't keep pulling from where you're at as far as the medical system is and expect people to want to continue to become GPs. One of the hardest things that we have right now is trying to find how many towns do you know of? Towns, villages, um, counties, medium-sized cities, smaller-sized cities are having trouble attracting doctors. I know in, in Renfrew County, in Berry's Bay as an example, they have a whole headhunters team who actually landed a doctor last year. There's at least half a dozen presently working in St. Francis Hospital. Okay, they have their offices in a building adjoining the hospital. And I won't bother naming them all. It uh, doesn't matter. There's six doctors working in there, one of which is my doctor. So the point is, you bring in one, but you're going to lose at least, because one of the doctors is in his 70s, and he's ready to retire. So you're going backwards. You know, all you're doing is you, you've gone from a dead run towards a cliff. You've broken down to a stiff jog. You're still headed for the cliff at an alarming pace. So how does making this even less attractive, this line of work, this occupation, how does this help solve the crisis in the healthcare system? This is what happens when you have bureaucrats making decisions from a thousand miles away. Or, for this sake, 240. What difference does it make how far it is? It actually makes a big difference because they have no idea what the needs are of the communities they're passing decisions on. So you have to look at it. Look, doctors are some of the most highly respected members of our community. And yet the government keeps kicking them in the teeth. And these people are gold-hearted. Like, they get into medicine... Because they want to help people. It's in their nature. They have what I refer to as a servant's heart. Where they go to people and say, oh, you're, let, let me help you. You know, my training allows me to be able to help you with your health care. Now, you can argue all day about which tactics are, um, um, which tactics are effective and which tactics are some people, you know, and in the medical profession, there's a lot of different things going on. Um, about what treatment works, what treatment does. That's not what I'm talking about. When it comes to this, you have a situation where this particular line of group of people is essential to our way of life because uh, for a bunch of reasons. For one thing, who wants to be sick if you don't have to be or injured longer than you have to be? Like I, You can't see it, I'm, but this finger right here, that one, I'm not giving anybody the bird, that's not the right finger. But I caught the end of it in a wood splitter about a year ago. It was a fluke accident, and I very nearly ripped the tip right off. 
Okay, well, guess what? This little whiny boy went to the hospital to get it looked after. Who did I see? A doctor. Well, if there's no doctors there, yes, nurses can fill the role. But guess what? This is the same, same thing is true with nurses. In other words, healthcare is a big part of our lives. As we live longer, as you know, uh, you, you have um, uh, more people falling into the over 60 crowd, you know, the baby boomers are now. I'm the youngest of the baby boomer, boomers at 55. I was born in the last year. Baby boom, they counted people as baby boomers, 1962. So as my generation moves through the mill, so to speak, there's more and more people uh, who are demanding services, and there's less and less people who are trained, never mind the economics of it, but are trained properly to deal with this. And that's what's driving me crazy. Um, I just, it's enough to make you go nuts. So you read a story like this and you think, how does this help? Everybody talks a great game. You know, they spend more and more and more money every year on health care. It eats, it's, other than the net, uh, other than servicing the debt, it's the biggest line item uh, in the budget, okay, health care. It's either health care or education. I'm not sure which one it is, but it's right there, okay? We spend a ton of money on it. And yet we are nickeling and diming our doctors because the federales can't stop spending money because that's what this is about. This is not about looking closing loopholes. This is not about closing tax shelters. Well, it is, but the reason they're doing it isn't because they think that you know these people are evil. They just are running out of money. The national debt is almost seven hundred billion dollars. That's the that's pretty much the best part of a trillion, by the way. And if we don't get this boy king and his wonder and his band of merry men out of Ottawa, it'll be a trillion dollars before he's done. The way he's handing out money. So, how? Do, and again, I asked you the question: What? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. The last year for baby boomers was 1963. Boy, I got a tough crowd. Thank you, Anthony. Appreciate that. <laughs> but, you know, I, I really do feel for our medical professionals. You know, it's it's just that, you know, and it's one of the reasons why we have so, we're top-heavy with specialists. Because in specialists, they can still make a pretty good living. You know, they can still, when you, somebody comes out of medical school, it's not uncommon to find someone with a half, a, not a half, $100,000 worth of debt. Okay, it's not cheap to become a doctor because it takes so long. The standards are very high, as they should be. <sighs> so, I don't know how that helps. I have no idea how that helps. That does not help at all, to tell you the truth. All right, now, let me see what else we got here. Oh, oh yes. I know I'm going to kick over Hornet's Nest with this, and frankly, I don't care. This has been a pet peeve with me for a long time. There's an article by David Reevely in the Ottawa Citizen today. I believe it's today. Look at the date. Yes, today. And it's about how Canada Post is going to obey traffic laws concerning bicycle paths in Toronto. And everybody's complaining about how uh, Canada Post doesn't respect, you know, the rules of the road. Okay, that's fair, fair, but... My attitude is, why do we have bike lanes in the first place? Look, there's a lot of people out there who ride bikes 
and I'm not putting those people down. If you want to ride a bike, fine, ride a bike. But if you're going to ride it downtown in a major or even a moderate-sized city, actually anywhere on a road, you're taking your life in your own hands. You're risking life and limb. You really are. And to borrow a phrase from some cartoon somewhere, big eats little, which means that when a bicycle and rider meet even the smallest car, you can bet the bicycle and rider are going to lose. And it doesn't matter what laws have been passed. It doesn't matter about paint on a road. The truth is that if you engage in the kind of activity that goes along with with um, the kind of activity that goes along with uh, riding a bike down a road, you are asking for it. You really are. Uh, no, you're not asking for it, but you're putting yourself in trouble. Okay, and Canada Post is a service that a lot of businesses depend on. A lot of people expect, and one, you know, you want fast delivery. Okay, comes with the price. Now I'm not I'm not I'm not by the way excusing the drivers for being lazy and just throwing on the four ways. I mean I used to see it too. Okay, when I was a truck driver driving a five ton uh, in Ottawa and Toronto and in Eastern Ontario, uh, you would see it all the time. People would just pull over, snap them on. Okay, I get that, but to me there's a bigger issue here, and it's why do we think that bicycles are anything more than recreational vehicles? Why do, why do people think there's serious transportation? You cannot. If, if you're riding down Laurier, okay, why should, why should a roadway, a major artery in downtown Ottawa, or in any city, because they're all over the place, in Toronto, in Calgary, in Halifax, who cares? They all have them. So why should we carve off 10 feet because I think each bike lane is, I'm going to guess, at five feet wide. So you're going to take of a, of a 45 or a 50-foot wide roadway and take like 10 or 20% of it away and allow bicycles to ride with trucks and cars and, you know, all kinds of motorized transport that if they touch, there's going to be a mess. Why do we allow that? Does not common sense indicate that this makes no sense at all. And let's face it, the vast majority, we put the, here in the city of Ottawa, if you're not from Ottawa, just to let you know, they spent untold millions of dollars putting in a bike lane on Laurier Avenue, one of the main thoroughfares through the heart of the city, right, right downtown, not far from Parliament Hill. And it's a heart of the economic uh, downtown core there's businesses down there. There's malls down there. There's all kinds of pedestrian traffic. Tourists are driving around down there because they want to get up to Parliament Hill. Okay, they want to go see the Byward Market and all that stuff. And they took uh, a traffic lane and they carved off about 10 feet of it. And then they put down concrete um, dividers. These, you know, the things you park up against in a parking lot, bumpers. Well, they line them up in a line down the road to separate the cars from, from the bikes. Like that would stop it. Okay, they people hop those things all the time in a parking lot. You know, you don't even see a bump. The next thing you know, you're over it. Okay, so the point is that on top of that, they put down a special green paint. Why? I have no idea. They just did, and it costs us a million dollars a year to repaint those things. On top of that, 
they get plowed and salted better than the roads do in the dead of winter when nobody's using them. Now look, I know, as I have as a personal friend, a bike career in the city of Ottawa, and he makes his living on his bike. But let's face it, he is the, he is the uh, exception, not the rule. He is a guy who knows the risks and is very careful about what he does. Has to. He's got a family and kids, and that's how he earns his daily bread. So in that particular case, okay. But people who just ride to work, are you out of your mind? Why? If I can sum this up this way, if you're going to ride, if you want to go downtown in any city or town, take a cab, take a bus, walk, or drive, but leave the bike at home. We'll be right back after this on the Nick at Night Show. EMM Group is the authorized Integrispec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integrispec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integrispec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. All right. Thanks for staying with me, folks. I hope you're enjoying the show. You can certainly join me at 343-700-4390 or 844-562-4766 or on Facebook. <coughs> Excuse me. You can send me a, a phone call. You can make a phone call just by clicking on uh, go to your contacts list. If, you're, uh, if you've sent me a friendship request, I'll be on your contacts list. Just look me up. Pop, uh, pop up the uh, private message box, hit the little telephone icon, send me a phone call, and we'll take it from there. All right, now, uh, on another issue, uh, this is just, this comes out uh, July 21st, 2017. It's written by Robert Spencer. Uh, this is more of the free speech stuff, and this is, um, you know, it's, it's really getting to the point of being ridiculous. Richard Dawkins, Richard Dawkins criticizes all religions and the concept of religion itself, but criticizing Islam is, for, is forbidden on the left, and so the radio station KPFA canceled his appearance. We didn't know we had he had we didn't know he defended and hurt in his tweets and other comments on on Islam. So many people stop there. 
So you don't do any research on your guests. Is that what you're telling me? Look, as somebody who spent some time in radio and more than a week, the very first thing you do if you want to have somebody on a guest is you find out you find out about them. You call them up, you talk to them. You find out what they're all about. You find out where they're coming from. You do a Google search. You find out who these people are. And you bring them on under one of two guises. That you support what you're, what you're doing. Uh, three guises. Uh, you support what they're doing. You're interested but not convinced yet whether you support or otherwise. Or you condemn what they're doing. So whoever said that obviously doesn't know much about how to run a radio station. Because you do not bring people on that you have no idea what they're going to say. You, if it'd be like me bringing on, uh, give me an example, um, Max, um, Bernie Sanders, without doing any homework on him, and then being surprised when he sounds like a communist. That's the same kind of. I mean, of course you should do your homework. So this is a problem right off the bat. The station insists that while KPFA emphatically supports serious free speech, note the word there, serious, keep that in mind, uh, we do not support abusive speech. Okay, uh, free speech is either free or it's not. But who is to decide what is legitimate criticism of Islam and what is abusive speech? The purveyors of the Islamophobia fiction have never clarified that or pointed out any critic of Islam who they don't consider abusive. They haven't because they can't. There's no criticism of Islam that they find acceptable. Dawkins can criticize Christianity and KPFA will cheer, but when he turns to Islam, he immediately becomes abusive. You know, this is the kind of stuff... They, they'll, they'll call people all kinds of names. If, if, if you decide, and we've been over this before, but this is just another chapter, um, another chapter in this decay of rights before our very eyes. The whole point of free speech is, I think, I think it was Voltaire, I, maybe I'm wrong, but one of the great philosophers from the, I think it was 17th century, who said, I may not agree with what you have to say, but I will defend with my life your right to say it. That seems to be a dead concept, certainly at Berkeley University, where this radio station is. Now, Berkeley's famous for all the wrong reasons. They are the home of some, some of the worst um, radical, hardcore progressives you've ever met. And isn't it funny that uh, the people who preach uh, tolerance, love, and acceptance are the least tolerant and are least likely to love and accept anybody that doesn't have the same worldview they do. Isn't it funny how that works? So I just thought I'd bring that to your attention because I'm telling you, this kind of stuff uh, is just, how can you allow it on one hand, like if we're supposed to take Islam seriously as a religion, and I'm not, I'm not saying one way or another, this isn't about Islam itself. It's about free speech and what we can say and what we can't. Like, why is it okay to criticize Christianity and Judaism and, you know, the Sikh religion or the, or, or you name any mainstream religion you want to, except that one? Why is it not okay to insult that one? I mean, there are all kinds of examples that I can point to 
everything from crucifixes in 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 jars of urine to um, uh, swastikas post painted on on uh, Jewish graves and, and synagogues attacked and oh I'm just these are the first ones that just come to mind, but these kind of things nobody ever says oh well we have to we 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 can't let people who because you hear it all the time and you know what as an Orthodox Catholic. I accept the fact people are going to not like my faith. Okay, that's fine. They don't have to. I also accept the fact they're going to mock it. They're going to ridicule it. They're going to insult it. They're going to spit on it. And I'm still okay with that. Because it's it's just part of, it's part of modern society. Now, was there a time when that wasn't okay? Yes, there certainly was. There were times when in our history... Going back centuries, well, the church goes back 2,000 years, when the church had the power to do some pretty nasty things to people and did. But we got over it. We got over it. Why is it okay in a modern Western secular society to trash every other religion but this one? And that's what I think is important about this story out of Berkeley, is that they just, for some reason, they think it's that if it's they are the ones um, who are making who are making the decision for everybody else about what abusive speech is, okay? Because to me, we all we don't need hate laws. We already have slander and libel laws. But yet, it, even when you, if you accept the reality of hate speech and that kind of stuff, how come it only goes one way? Yes, it is, Stephanie. Absolutely. Berkeley is Antifa Central. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, Marin says Islam doesn't allow that. You know what? Tough. That's just too bad. I mean, my attitude is, and I'm not the person, I'm not the kind of person to go around and intentionally be provocative looking for a fight. I do have what we call opposition reflex, okay? Where somebody tells me you can't do that, instantly my hackles go up and I go, oh, yeah? I have been guilty of that before. But I don't intentionally go looking for trouble. I find it finds me plenty enough, fast enough on its own. I don't need to go looking for it. But when you have a situation like this, you've got to ask yourself, you know, how come the the left, who's all about peace, love, tolerance, and all that stuff, as a matter of fact, let's go back to one of the first things we talked about tonight. Where is the left on, on uh, female genital mutilation and honor killings? How come we don't hear anything out of them about that? Where is, uh, uh, where is the Council on, on Women's Affairs or whatever? The, the Canadian version of the, of the uh, National Organization of Women or what uh, some commentators call the nag gang. Uh, Where's the Canadian version of that about this? Why didn't they stand up and tell Trudeau to stuff it? Because that goes against the woman's, you know, that's a... a, a uh, that's abusive towards women, to put it mildly. Okay, why is it okay? You know, all of a sudden you have this select uh, application of rights, which means they're not rights at all. If they don't apply to all of us, they don't apply to any of us. And if Trudeau is so concerned about rights, how come he won't tolerate he won't even say the words Islamic terrorism when applicable. 
He won't even do that. But if a Christian picks up a gun and shoots somebody, which almost, I won't say never happens, but certainly when you compare one, one group of violent types to the other, the scale goes thud. And you have very few incidences of Christian violence in our modern world by comparing to uh, you know, those who wage jihad in the name of Islam uh, around the world. There's just no comparison. It's not even close. And yet, in Berkeley, they think they're the be-all and the end-all of everything that's um, good, bad, or otherwise. And that just makes me lose my mind. I just, it's, either, it's either one way or the other. You can't have it both ways. How many times did you hear that as a kid? You can't have your cake and eat it, too. Which I always thought was a funny thing to say. How come I can't have my cake and eat it, too? It's my cake. If I want to eat it, who are you to tell me not to? But that's just an old saying. Obviously, it has some historical roots I am unaware of. All right, we need to take a little break. When we get back, we'll have more right after this on the Naked Night Show. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity... Try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. Just kill that. There we go. No, come on. There. Things work better when you do it right. All right. Okay. Now, there is a sad story I've got to share with you. This this really, this one broke my heart. As a parent, um, I told you about this, if it were not last, if not two weeks ago, certainly last week. Um, I think it was two. If you're familiar with the, the name Charlie Gard, if that name rings a bell, as a reason, Charlie Gardner is 11 months old, and he's a critical, critically ill baby at the center of an international medical and legal battle. Um, he has a very rare gen- genetic problem, and go, working from, I'm, I'm not into the story yet, but the um, from the article that I'm going to draw from, but excuse me. But this genetic disorder left him uh, with very little chance of survival. So his parents went out and raised, he's in England, raised about 1.2, I think it was 1.5 million pounds, which roughly translates to about $3 million 
and they had an American doctor who was willing to try a last gasp treatment to try and save the lad. And the human rights, the hospital objected, thought the boy should die in the hospital, and took it to the human rights court in The Hague. Or in The Hague? I think so. Um, anyway, the European Human Rights uh, Commission. And they ruled on the in the hospital's favor, stripping the right of the parents to make the final decisions for their son. Well, it's turned out that now it's too late. There's nothing they can do anymore for the, for the young man. And the parents have basically thrown in the towel. And, you know, I'm, not, I'm in no position to criticize them. It's a, I, I can't imagine what they're going through. So let me just share with you some of this story, and it, it just tears your heart out. Charlie Gard, the critically ill baby, baby at the center of an international medical and legal battle, is set to spend his, days, his last days in a hospital. In, in a hospital. Connie Yates, the 11-month-old mother, appeared before a judge on Wednesday to say she was dropping her objection to Charlie being allowed to die in a hospice instead of at his parents' home, as they had originally wanted. Yates' concession comes a day after she asked the London judge to let the family take Charlie home for a few days of tranquility before his ventilator is disconnected and he's allowed to slip away. But on Wednesday, Yates requested a medical team could keep her son alive for a week under hospice care rather than just a few hours. Charlie's parents battled for months for the opportunity to take their son to the United States for an experimental treatment, but on Monday, in the face of a host of legal delays, they withdrew that petition. And that's about all I need to read from the story, because to me, this story is tragic on a lot of levels. First of all, how can you not feel for the parents and this little boy? I mean, he, this kid, you know, 11 months I don't know how close he is to his one-year-old one birthday, but he's not had an easy go of it by any stretch, the poor kid. You, you just feel, feel for him. I mean, and the parents, the agony they must be going through. You know, as for people like you and I, um, I would imagine a lot of you out there are parents like I am. Uh, I know when I told my wife of the story, I said, you know what we do. She says, you're damn right, whatever it took. If it meant going to jail, then we'd do it uh, to get the child out of the hospital and take him to the States. They had the money, they had the Pope, they had John, Donald Trump, they had everybody in the world pulling for this kid. And the faceless bureaucrats in Brussels had decided, that's where it is, Brussels, um, decided that the parents' will didn't matter, uh, the child had independent rights of the parents, and that uh, all the parents could do was stand by and watch this little boy die. And that, so that to me is the real tragedy here. I mean, it's sad enough to watch this happen. But to know that some legal authority feels it has the right to meddle in internal family affairs at this most critical juncture in this little boy's life is so abhorrent to me and so thoroughly angering that if I spent too much time, you know, really dwelling on it, I would... I'd melt down because just that is so outrageous. That is so over the top um, that I don't know. I, I can't put it into words. But the idea of that little boy being sentenced to death. Now, let's. I'm not, I'm not under any illusion. The, the chance at the cure or something that would give him any legitimate shot at a, at a reasonably longer life was minuscule at best. I'm not saying that, the, you know, oh, they killed this boy because if they're going to save his life. 
there was a small chance. But that wasn't the state's decision to make. The state does not own the child. The parents do. And they do until the child's 18. When that child is ready to step out the door and become their own person, own independent, fully independent person. And that's the truth of it. So when you listen to this stuff, when you read this stuff, how could you not be heartbroken over it? Not only is, is this, this family have to go through this and lose their son, but the state ha- thinks they have the right to trample all over this family in a rush to ensure the rights of the baby. It's none of their damn business. You want to talk about a nanny state? This is the ultimate case. They're deciding over life and death of a person they have no they should have no right title or interest to, to use a legal term. There is absolutely no way this should be tolerated. And if we had if we had any sense of morality in our culture, we would be storming the streets in protest over things like this. And telling the government to back off and leave our families alone. But it's not the way things go. So this little boy is going to die in a hospital. All because some bureaucrat or some panel of judges from five or six hundred miles from where he lays have decided that he has a right to a dignified death. And even though it was only a whisper of a hope that whatever hope there was isn't worth pursuing. Folks, I don't know how to tell you. I just don't how absolutely heartbreaking that is and how outrageous it is and how it just, what do you say to it? So when you, if you haven't already done it, when you tuck your kids in tonight, take a moment and spend some time with them. Maybe say a prayer, maybe give them a hug and a kiss. Because in this world, you never know what tomorrow's going to bring. So cherish the time you have with your family. Because the way it's going, the state will be the one to decide when that time ends, not you. Look, life's full full enough of risks. There is enough tragedy in the world without adding to it. You know, people lose, lo- lose loved ones in accidents and, and calamities. Uh, soldiers are killed in wars. Uh, you know, people die from dread diseases, cancer and different things. Um, malaria, you know, kills millions of people every year. And all these are tragic. But this one is an artificial one. This one is the one that says... Yeah, well, we think we're smarter than you, therefore we're going to override your rights as parents. And we're going to take your little child and say, too bad. We think his right to a dignified death is more important than your right as a parent to try everything within your power to save his life. You see, a dignified death seems to be more more valuable to them than a shot at a dignified life. And that is what drives me crazy. Oh, man. Yeah, no kidding. Marin just said, the term death with dignity is offensive. Well, yes, in this case, absolutely it is. I agree with you. Now, I think there certainly is 
dignified death. When life comes to its normal conclusion, you've lived as long as you're supposed to live because nobody knows how long that's going to be. We could, all, we could all tell stories of people who went too soon, you know, either from disease, accident, famine, or war, whatever it is, okay? Been down that road myself many times. Um, but when that moment comes, there certainly is uh, a, a way, you know, there's, you can have a dignified death. But that's not because the state says so. A dignified death usually stems from the character of the person who's afflicted and the people around them. That's what makes a death dignified, not some bureaucrat in Brussels. So it's just, I hate to end on a downer, folks. I really do. So let me let me close the show with this cute little story. And it's, I was in Renfrew the other day. Renfrew? In the Tim Hortons coffee shop. I was getting a, I don't know, probably, well, obviously a coffee, but it uh, doesn't matter. I was in there getting something to eat and, and something to drink. And this 60-something lady I held, because I'm old school, I hold the door open for women when they come up. And for guys, too, if I'm if I'm stepping through a door and people come in behind me, I'll just step aside and hold the door open and let them pass, right? Typically Canadian. How polite is that? So anyway, the uh, this lady walked in. She said, thank you. I said, oh, you're welcome. And walked up, and uh, she came over afterwards, like I had ordered my meal and sat down. And we we made a little bit of small talk in the in the, in the line. And she told me, and I, for the life of me, I can't remember what it was, but she told me a joke. Somebody she'd never met before, probably will never see again. And she's just very jovial, very happy, you know. Um, came over and told me, I wish I could remember what it was. But I laughed. It was funny. It was it was really kind of a funny. See, the the risk here is that you never know who you're talking to. But she didn't care. You know, we we made a little chit chat in the line and that kind of thing. Um, so I told her one back. I I the one I told her I tell a million times. My kids always roll their eyes when I tell it. But I'm gonna tell you now. Do you know what you call thirty two hillbillies sitting around a kitchen table? Now, since you can't, I can't hear you say no. <laughs> It's called a full set of teeth. Some got two, some got none, but it averages out. Well, you should have seen her laugh over that one. Just about doubled over. And just, we had a great, it was a great moment, a lot of fun. And it was, really, you know, it was just one of those little nice things that happens in the course of, of, of every day. And I thoroughly, I, I, I wish, you know, I hope something like that happens to you tomorrow. Maybe even today. Just a complete stranger, share a, a, a moment with, you know, it doesn't have to be anything dramatic, just a joke. There's nothing wrong. And I've done this, walked up to somebody, and because I, I always like to put people at ease, especially if they're in a high-stress environment like working in a fast-food restaurant. The, the staff behind the counter, you know, if things are busy, I'll come up and I'll tell them that quick little joke. And sometimes they look at me like I got three heads and they don't get it and it falls flat in its face. Okay, didn't work. I tried to be funny, didn't work. But once in a while, they <laughs> they get quite a chuckle out of it and it makes their day. Take a chance. You never know. You might even make a friend. All right, with that said, I have to bag it for tonight. Thank you very much for joining me. I certainly hope that you'll join me again next week. And I was surprised. I thought I'd get a few 
phone calls on Facebook. We'll do we'll we'll keep that option open for you. If you want to join in next week and do that, we'll certainly make that happen. In the meantime, that's it for me tonight. We'll see you all again next week. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace. And may you have a fair wind and a following sea. Of all the money that I had, I spent it in good company. And all the harm I've ever done Alas, it was to none but me And all I've done For want of wit To memory now I can so fill to me the parting glass. Good night and joy be to you all. So fill to me the parting glass and drink a health whatever befalls. Then gently softly call good night and joy be to you all of all the comrades that it I had they're sorry for my going away and all the sweethearts that e'er I had they'd wish me one more day to stay but since it fell into my lot that I should rise and you should not, I'll gently rise and softly call. Good night and joy be to you all. Fill to me the parting glass and drink a I'm